you got to be jet lagged as shit, Suan. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm I'm fine. I slept pretty good last night. I took like melatonin and um, kind of slept through pretty good. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm tired. <laughs> it's a long way. <laughs> does that melatonin shit work? It worked for me. I think my body is like super, you know, super sensitive to like melatonin. So, oh, I, I was um, just stopping at super sensitive. That was enough for me. <laughs> I won't be as sharp today. Not that I'm always sharp, but like I'm so tired and I'm sleepy and I'm trying to get this coffee in my system right now. You were just saying I didn't feel bad. I took my melatonin. Now you're whining. Welcome to the New Year episode of Fairway to Heaven, a live golf podcast. My name is Sue Ann Hing, and with me is my favorite human being on this planet, Jerry <laughs> Fultz. <laughs> ah, yeah, right. Wow. Look, it's the new year. I have to start off right. I'm going to be nice. That was my new year resolution, to be nice to Jerry Fultz. That'll last, uh, we what, do have uh, three days, four days? Oh, you'll be lucky if it lasts like five minutes. Uh-huh. Um, and then you'll see Will Balsam, who's our producer as well, who will be joining our podcast from time to time. Now, uh, Jerry and myself, we're both part of the Live Golf League broadcast team. And, you know, we decided, you know what? We don't spend enough time together, Jerry. So here we are <laughs> doing <laughs> the podcast together. And as always, we do have a very special guest joining us for a fireside chat Jerry, if there is any episode that we could possibly get our asses fired, it would be this one. <laughs> so uh, don't fuck this one up, okay, Jerry? Listen, um, <laughs> I think I'm looking forward to this one more than anything, primarily because all the guys we cover in Live Golf are stars of the game currently. Greg's a star of the game, a little bit past his prime, so to speak. Uh, but mm-hmm. he was the one I grew up, my generation grew up watching. And not, not I mean, he's only a few years older than me, but... He was the one many people of my generation emulated, wanted to be. Everybody wanted to be like Greg Norman. He had that swashbuckling kind of kind of demeanor to him on the course and the go-for-broke style of play. And uh, he's somebody that I've looked up to for a long time. And the main re- one of the main reasons that I am part of this team and fortunate enough to spend so much of my time alongside the lovely Sue Ann Hang. I, too, have New Year's resolutions. But uh, – <laughs> If Greg Norman wasn't behind what has become Live Golf, first of all, Live wouldn't be where it is. And secondly, I don't know how many of the people that currently make up the product that is Live, be it broadcaster players, would have signed on. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mean, I'm a little younger than you, Jerry, but uh, you know, I also grew up kind of idolizing him, um, and you know, he was just such an icon, an iconic player, really. You know, and and I always loved his hat you know that was yeah. like a his hat and his walk it was very like you can definitely just go yeah that's greg even now without a hat you go that's greg you know walking yeah. in the distance and you can really spot him from a mile away obviously a two-time major champion um yeah i'm really excited to chat with him but uh jerry how's your new year's and how was your christmas what did you do oh, boring as hell you know when you get older one of the gifts you, you you gladly take in life is spending time alone so karen went to uh, the uk to visit her family having lost her mother this year that was hugely important mm. and it was me and the dog who i now have changed her name to wilson because it was the only creature i had to talk to for two weeks <laughs> Um, little <laughs> Zoe so tired of me but no uh, and as you know I'm on some medication which forbids me to imbibe in alcohol and that is right. gotta be it's day 35 today but who's counting 
So I'm a little <laughs> rough around the edges. Sobriety doesn't sit well with me, as you've mentioned many times, Sue Ann. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I still have another probably month ahead of me. So this is really kind of, I've learned to enjoy the taste of non-alcoholic beer. And shockingly, here's the one, one of something weird in Florida, you still have to be 21 to buy non-alcoholic beer. What? I try to get my stepson to pick up a six pack on New Year's Eve on the way here and they wouldn't let him. It doesn't it have like a very, very, very low, like almost no, obviously zero percentage, but I think it's got like a little percentage, right? It has That's less why. alcohol than mouthwash for crying out loud. I mean, there, but that's look, there's still alcohol in it. That's probably oh, why they need to ID. Zero percent. It's zero percent. Bud zero. Speaking of ID, I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to say this. I got, I got ID last night. I'm in Santa Ynez. I'm in wine country. Um, and uh, yeah, I got ID'd at a restaurant last night. I was, I was uh, very pleased, shall I say. Mm -hmm. So. Um, You're in California where it's state policy where they ID everybody who's alive. And so I no. wouldn't get ID'd. My friends didn't get ID'd. Really? No. No. Nah. Ah. Yeah. So I'm See, very proud about that. That was a, you know, that's a great way to start my New Year's is just to get ID'd. Not a lot of Asians in Santa Inez. <laughs> yeah, really isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts on Rory's comments? It's bound to happen what, what Rory's done, what uh, even Eamon Lynch coming off his high horse a little bit. Next is going to be Brandle and No Laying Up to some degree, even though they're battling now. Um, it's yeah, it's bound to happen. My question is: Are is the live the live? Uh, I don't know. Credo is it going to be as petty as the PGA Tours has been? Because they were all like, "You guys can't come back. If you come back, we have to be made right. You have to pay a fine." Blah 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 blah. Do we now welcome these guys with open arms who've seen the light after being Monahan's puppet for so long? It's a fair question. You know, I kind of wish we were doing this podcast after I did my wine stuff today. You know, my wine tasting. So are the viewers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it's uh it's what is it, 9 a.m. here on the West Coast. So nope, coffee for me right now. Yeah. Well, before um, we go any um, further, our our guest actually is in the waiting room. So we don't oh, wanna, oh. all right. Well we shouldn't make him longer. wait, should we? No, I hope you heard all that not. nice stuff I said about him. Wish. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let him in. Hey Greg, good morning. There he is. Hey Jerry, how you doing, mate? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm well, indeed. Yeah, indeed. Where are you? Uh, I am in Napa Valley right now. Ah, we're both in wine. Country. Yeah, yeah. Let me see if I can. So, anything behind there? Like, ugh. it's a little wow. fog. It's a little foggy this morning, so no big deal. <laughs> That the doesn't life. suck. The <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> all good. Well, all this, good, good. this man needs no introduction, uh, but uh, he's our CEO and commissioner, Greg Norman, uh, the legend himself. Thank you so much for joining us. Not exactly a log cabin. That's uh, looks quite posh. <laughs> oh, it's um, actually it's a really incredible story up here. It's a place called Pritchard Hill. Um, it's in the Ovid Wine District wine winery. It does, I think, silver oak and stuff like that, and uh, sits up high in the clouds. It's about we're about thirteen hundred feet. And a chef called Thomas Keller 
bought this. He just resurrected it. It was a bit of a shabble state. And he's going to create his, um, I guess, entertainment place for his guests and stuff like that. So they just finished uh, restoring it, actually. And Howard Buchan did it. Howard Buchan's a famous architect out of Napa Valley. He's done some incredible <clears throat> houses, not just here, but wineries and all over the world. So we've been a huge fan of Howard Buchan's, Kiki and I, for a long, long period of time. And to come out here and experience his house is uh, pretty impressive. So anyway, that's the story about where we are. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, speaking of Napa Valley, are you into are you into Napa wines? I mean, I am. I love the Cabernets in Napa. It's probably one of my are favorites you, ever. Are you still yeah. in the wine making business, Greg? Uh, we don't make the wines. We actually buy the grapes, and I have winemakers in different locations around the world, um, i.e., you know, Australia, New Zealand, and here. So we actually acquire it. It's a capital expense that we don't need to have because a lot of these suppliers of vineyards sell their grapes anyway. Um, so that's what we do. Our winemakers go out and source the grapes that we need during the season and the harvest, and and we bottle it and we distribute it through a distribution company. Nice. How much yeah. uh, How much wine have you had so far? It's it's obviously a holiday season uh, <laughs> and you're uh, in Napa uh, Valley. <laughs> Every night, every day, and every night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, Greg, let's start off with uh, obviously it's the new year. Happy New Year, by the way. Hope you had a, a fantastic uh, festivities and holiday season and being with family. Um, let's talk about twenty twenty four. Really exciting stuff. What can we look forward to? Oh, look. I think the the simple answer is um, improvement. Um, obviously, from an innovation standpoint, uh, LIV has uh, proven its own cause in 22 events, right? Uh, we continue to uh, innovate, innovate, innovate from every tournament we go to, which is something that you haven't really seen in the world of golf uh, ever, to be honest with you. So with the opportunity that we have through our production team, and we obviously own our production team, and we control what we can deliver out there, and um, to see the innovation that we come out with is just absolutely impactful for the fans, our viewers who love it because they go, wow, we haven't seen that before. Why Why hasn't this not been done before? So from my perspective, that's just a, a little small piece of it. Um, and then just continually growing the game um, and taking live on a global platform. Um, you all know that I've been a staunch global golfer from day one. Um, global golf diplomacy has been something that's been near and dear to my heart well before I even came on board with Liv um, about growing the game of golf on a global basis. Uh, I travel the world as a player myself, uh, as number one player in the world, promoting the game. I had the baton. Um, I needed to show the rest of the world what um, quality golf is all about, doing exhibition matches and stuff. I did the first exhibition match on mainland China, for example. Um, and you know, to do, I'm proud of that. And for us to be able to take this platform, um, our, our little mini circus on a global basis, I'm really, really looking forward to that. And next year, this year, excuse me, it shows that we are. We've split it down. It's seven and seven now, and and there's probably more of a tendency to drift off into the international market. Um, but we also want to stay here in the United States uh, domestically because this is the powerhouse of a sporting country. So we need to be here as well. 
When you, Greg, when you think back to all those years ago when when the idea first came to mind, and I'm sure it wasn't an, a, a light came on in your head that said golf needs to be more global. It was just something that obviously you probably saw a need for during your worldwide travels. Um, when you think back to then to where we are today, uh, number one, could you have imagined the how things have transformed so quickly? But on the flip side of that, why it took so long for I guess the the ecosystem, if you will, to be able to realize that there is a need for this. Gary, I think the um, one thing that's bothered me for a long, long period of time, and I'm talking about three and a half decades, four decades, right? It's bothered me is how some of the institutional leaders, um, whether they're from different parts of the world, have not recognized the value of what the globe can deliver for our game. And as a player, I was always perplexed by that and wondering why hasn't the PGA Tour expanded and owned the rest of the world as well? Why hasn't the DP World Tour? They did to a degree because they drifted down to other countries like South Africa, Australia, and Asia to a degree. But it was only little bits of here and a little bit there. It wasn't looking at the, the global picture of how do we map out and extract the best value for the fans, for the consumer, for the stakeholder, um, to to build a platform, not just from an, an economic impact, but a consumer impact standpoint, using golf to do that. So it, it was for decades, I was stumped by that. Um, and here we are today, you use one word there, quicker, right? Um, I'm absolutely amazed. Um, and it absolutely uh, validates my thoughts for so many years that Man, they were crying out for something. They wanted something. They needed something. So when we go to Adelaide and see the acceptance, when we go to places that have never seen the quality of talent in a collective group and the production facilities and the and what we put on, people go, holy schmoly, why, 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 why? So from my perspective, I sit here today, and, and as I touch on looking into the future, we have a massive opportunity ahead of us uh, because we can take it in that direction. We will take it in that direction because golf uh, all around the world has been crying out for this for decades because others have left it alone. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think the golf world um, woke up to some very uh, different point of views from uh, Rory McIlroy about <laughs> yeah, what you were talking yeah. about. You know, he admitted that, you know, he's made mistakes and he was too judgmental about players and about the league itself. And he's now accepted that it's now part of our sport. You know, what are your thoughts on 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 his comments and how did you react this morning to that news? Well, obviously, um, Happy New Year Golf is my reaction. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> I, I think um, and I look, I, I've got to be honest with you. I am very appreciative of what Rory said. Um, it's been a painful couple of years because what we have done is we've been consistent. Our narrative has been consistent. Our delivery mechanism has been consistent. It's uh, And the reason why I say I'm appreciative for Rory to basically fall on his sword to some degree is the fact that um, he did judge us by not knowing the facts. He judged us on other people's thoughts and opinions. And we wanted to sit down from day one. For years and years ago, we wanted to sit down with them to completely make them understand the value of what live footprint business model and impact can and has made on the game of golf. So from, from my perspective, I say, hey, thank you, Rory. You know, um, we want to, we, we all knew it was going to work within um, 
the golf ecosystem. Uh, we all wanted to be there. We are going to be there. He said that. And to me, quite honestly, Sue Ann, I think this is a significant turning point for everybody. Yeah. Greg, you, you're so much a better human being than I am. Obviously, you're a better golfer. You're so much a better human being than I am because from day one in London in 2022, you told me to take the high road because there's not a lot of traffic. There's fewer people on the high road. Um, the narrative, as you so accurately say, that's been anti-live as, as promoted by primarily PGA Tour establishment and those beholden to them has gotten quite petty over the over the year. It started off very petty and still remains quite petty. And Rory has been quite petty in some of the things he said. But you can how the hell do you continue to take the high road when I just want to say <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, it, it's simple because what we're doing is right. It's nothing more than that. Um, I've been a 101% believer um, in live. I've been a 101% believer in the game of golf is above everybody. Any individual player, any institution, no matter whether it's the RNA, the USGA, Augusta National, PGA of America, DP World Tour, PGA Tour, and including live. My job is to make sure golf always stays ahead of anybody or any institution. So for me, when I know what we're doing is 100% right, it's easy to take the high road because everybody else makes themselves look like they're, you know, judgmental. Or Let me say that for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I could have said a few more words there, Jerry, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, you know, you – you go through you go through these moments in time where you you have a disconnect in reality of one person's opinion to another. Time is the greatest healer, but time can only heal when what you are doing is right, and what we are doing is right because we are proving it in twenty two events, guys. We've proven to the world <clears throat> and to all the Roy McElroys of the world that hey. In that short time period, if we can make this much of an impact on the game of golf, imagine what we can do in 53 years like the PGA Tour does. And there was an interesting, there was an interesting um, article that was, came out, actually somebody sent it to me yesterday, about back when the PGA Tour broke away from the PGA of America. It's the same type of wordology about Nicholas and Palmer break away from the PGA of America. They get poached away, all this stuff. So when you roll the clock back 53, 54 years to where we are here today, you know, we're not the first ones who've done this. The PGA yeah. Tour have done it as well too. But we've done this with uh, one significant and powerful reason. We've had an investor who loves the game of golf with the passion that I've never seen anything else before. And obviously, a single source investor who wants to invest into the game of golf to uh, obviously extract an ROI. Now, finally, finally, in our world, in our sport, golf is looked on as an asset class. And now what we have done, what Liv has done, is we've opened up that opportunity and the PGA Tour has recognized it. And that's why this framework agreement, I hope it takes place, because money starting to flow into the game of golf from private equity. Hallelujah. We've, we've done part of our job 
is to give golf and the growth of golf, whether through the players or whether through sponsors or whether through people watching TV and production, we've given them this opportunity through a, uh, a competitive market of saying, there's something new on the horizon, guys. Golf is an investment, an asset class. We can invest in that and everybody's going to be the benefactor of it. Yeah. I mean, actually quite interesting because Rory had mentioned too, like, you know, like you said, it, it, we're not the first that did it. Like you said, you know, I think the, the cricket had did it, had yeah. done it, right? So, and let me just, I did, a, I did a conversation interview this morning with a gentleman who wants to come on at our C-suite. And I, I, I used the analogy of Kerry Packer and cricket. Kerry Packer, for the listeners out there, was a, a, an Australian billionaire, sports fanatic, one of my dear mm-hmm. friends. I played golf with him at Pebble Beach. We actually won Pebble Beach together. By and, a bunch. Um, yeah, by a bunch, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, it was his goal, right, to create generational wealth for the cricket players. Test cricket, was people would either love it or hate it, right? And then that was it. And you had interstate cricket and you had provincial cricket, all those stuff, right? It was it was old school. He came along and he created one-day cricket, and then 2020. Then now we got the IPL. And the valuations of teams in the IPL are like six, $800 million today in a very, very short period of time. So Kerry Packer has been sitting on my right shoulder all this time, just steering me in the right direction because what he did was right for cricket. And you know what? They still play test cricket. They still love watching test cricket. They still love playing their interstate cricket. They still love the traditional style of cricket. No different than the major championships, right? And as Rory Rory quite articulately said, you know, what we have is a platform that works. It fits within the ecosystem. I think it's – I'm not quoting him, but I think that's what he said. So, you know, again, going back, we are on the right side of history. Our players are on the right side of history. All of us within the Live Worldwide organization are on the right side of history. So, you know, we all should sit back as we look into 2024 and into the future of saying, okay, this turning point is the right moment in time for us to go out there and capitalize on it. And on this call I had with the potential C-suite coming in, he did mention that. He did break open up to the fact that, hey, now that these opportunities from a global commercialization standpoint are starting to open up to us, this is why I'm having the conversation with you, Greg. And when when Kerry Packer and and that movement for one day cricket, uh, limited over, I believe it was called at the time, 50 overs of one day game, um, the players that signed on were ostracized. The institutions, as they were, were started their own narrative campaign against it and how bad it was for the sport and how bad, how much it would never work. But yet it transformed the sport and brought it to new heights of popularity. That kind of turmoil is what we have, you know, seen outside of our, our insular family of live golf uh, and, and seeing a change has been uh, slowly. Um, so, well, maybe a little more rapidly last June, but uh, slowly overall, um, it, it, it doesn't take, a very creative mind to look at what it did to cricket to see exactly where we're headed with golf and how people should just realize, in my opinion, that is where this was meant to be the entire time. And that's what is good about live and is good about what you and, and uh, the PIF and Yasser have brought into the game of golf. This isn't bad. This isn't a bad thing, people. No, it is yeah, not. I mean- and, and then people are realizing that Jerry, obviously Rory's realized it as of this morning. <laughs> 
right? Oh, as of that, whenever that interview was, right? He sat back and maybe he's had a good conversation with John Rahm since John Rahm signed. Maybe I'm just speculating. Maybe John gave him the information that we gave John for John to come on board with Liv and said, hey, Rory, you've here it is. This is what it is. This is the structure. This is how it operates. This is what the opportunity is. This is what Liv is, not just from my team, but for all these other teams and what we're doing for the game of golf, the economic impact we may do have in certain regions. Maybe it was John. I'm not too sure. I'm speculating. But for Rory to come and do this, and like I said, I appreciate it. It's not easy for somebody to be – um, so negative, and then all of a sudden turn around and fall on your sword and say, "Hey, you know, we are on the right side of history." Um, you know, making those positive comments towards Live from an innovation standpoint um, is is a very powerful t- testament to going back to saying what we have is right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think uh, Greg, we're going to shift and talk a little bit more about <clears throat> about you and your life and we want to uh, you know we want to get to know you better we don't ever really get this opportunity to have a one-on-one chat with you so you know uh, <laughs> i know you talked a little bit about winemaking earlier what is the trick you know to transition from a tr- super successful professional golfer a world number one two-time major champion to now a successful businessman and entrepreneur you got your hands in everything I mean, you're you're doing all sorts of stuff. What is the trick? <laughs> um, just, I guess, being a visionary, um, seeing opportunities um, that the doors have opened for me because of the position I was as number one player in the world for such a period of time. But more importantly, I've touched on this, you know, traveling around the world as much as I have done, um, being very responsible um, for brand values, that my logo is obviously the shark logo uh, making sure that that stays where it is protect that uh, as much as you can build on that as much as you can but also um, I mean for me it's learning how to compartmentalize uh, you, you my dad gave me a saying didn't dip do it now and do it proper so you know as I was number one player in the world my job then was between the first tee and the 18th green do my press conference, do my practice session. Then after that, walk away from it, shut mm-hmm. down from it because you can't keep taking that with you the entire time for 24 hours, uh, seven days a week. So I always learned how to compartmentalize my life um, and focus on things that I needed to focus on at that time. And uh, there was lots of times uh, in my previous company um, that now is run by somebody else. I'd give them 30 seconds of an idea would create 30 months of work. You know, and they used to hate that. Um, but these are, this was my vision. And and Lawrence Burian, who is our COO of Live right now, I, he, I gave him my book, um, The Way of the Shark. And he read it this over Christmas. And he said, oh, my God. He said, um, it just some of the, the comments that he came back to me, it, it didn't hit me until he actually mentioned to him about what I had done during that compressed time of my life when I had so much going on and creating so much and making the decision to not resign with IMG and forming my own company. And how do you do that? I was never educated. I went to high school and never went to college, um, but I had incredible advice from some amazing people like Jack Welsh, rest in peace, Jack, um, you know, from Roger Penske to presidents of the United States. I won't mention their names. I've been very, very blessed 
Sue Ann and Jerry of getting to know some of these powerful people from all over the world, just not in the United States, but many, many countries, that golf is giving me that opportunity to get to know them. And, uh, and even today, I stay in contact with some of these people. I get it from a prime minister and presidents over Christmas. So I don't take it for granted, um, but I do respect the position I am in um, and making sure that I, whatever I do, whether it's my shark logo or anything else I do in life through live um, and whatever is in the future for me is to, to say, stay true to myself, to my inner core, my DNA. Um, and if I do that, you know, I'm going to be in a happy place. Which, um, which of those accomplishments take live away for now? Um, Cause I know where that's going to rank long-term uh, in your, in your resume and take away your playing accomplishments, 88 worldwide wins, two majors. Um, what of your business accomplishments are are you most proud of? Uh, Jerry, I'd accept to say golf course design. Um, still to this day, it's my passionate. I'm passionate about it away from the live scene. I juggle that as well because we are building golf courses. We've opened 121 around the world. And and you talk about a, an economic indicator Um because of my longevity in designing golf courses and all over all places over the world, I've seen the changes and where the money moves around the world. GFC, we knew the GFC was going to hit. I was in Turkey giving a speech at a conference, and um, we knew the GFC was coming because our account receivables were moving out from 30 days to 60 days to 90 days to 120 days. So that tells me, oh boy, everybody's starting to tighten up their bootstraps and they're going to hold their money as long as cash is king. And um, so I made comment during that time and that coming out of that conference, people were making bets. When do you think the GFC is going to hit? Six months, nine months, three months, 18 months? And it was just everybody could feel it. Um, and I felt it through golf course design business. <clears throat> so you had to, be, had to be able to adjust as that pendulum is swinging onto the negative side, how do you prepare for the pendulum to swing back because the GFC wasn't going to last forever? So you, you strategize within your team to say, okay, how do we be on the up cycle here? So things like that that I've done with my golf course design business, I'm proud of, you know, building a golf course in mainland China, building in Saudi Arabia now, building in Mexico, building in Brazil, building in Australia, the United States, all through Europe. I actually was building a golf course and um, going to redo the golf course in Moscow. But when uh, Russia attacked Ukraine, I backed out of it. I wasn't a good um, optics for me to be in there building a golf course. So I turned that down. So when you see those opportunities that we have had and where we go, you, you see this. And, and here's an interesting stat for everybody that I keep reminding the world of about how powerful the game of golf is. 50% of all golf courses under construction today are between the GCC and the Pacific Rim. So if you put that in perspective, there's a 25-year cycle of golf growth in that region. So as sitting in the chair of whether it's Greg Norman Golf Course Design or whether it's the CEO and you know, Commissioner of Live, you look at these opportunities that sit out there in front of us, how are we going to maximize this? How do we put, how do we bring our platforms in here to develop that? And I do it with my real estate business, the branded real estate. We know, and that's where we go. So I would say, Jerry, the golf course design side of 
my business. How many do you have right now around the world? How many golf courses do you have? Just we've opened, we've opened 121. We have 18 or 22 under construct under contract, and we have about 13 or 14 under construction. I had to I had to look up GCC for a moment there. Golf Cooperation Council, basically the Middle East. Um, Middle East, when yeah. You refer to yeah. GCC. Uh, your golf course design philosophy to me, and this is long before I got to know you as well as I've got to know you through Live, basically having encountered you at a few tournaments here and there when we were both playing. But um, your golf course design philosophy is is some of my favorite and my favorite because the subtlety of your designs is what carries the day. It's, you know, you play a Pete Dye course, love Pete, love Dallas, God bless their, God rest their souls. Um, but you play a course and you're like, well, that's dramatic. That's fun. But I really don't want to go back. Um, you play a Greg Norman design and it's, it's not awe inspiring from from first sight when you look down the fairway but then when you play it once or twice or three times or four times and you keep playing it you realize i can't get enough of this place because all of the challenge of the course is usually so much more subtle than some of the more dramatic modern architects where did that mentality where did that style stem from um very simple um mckenzie alistair mckenzie the least disturbance approach i mean you look what he's done on some of the great golf courses he's built around the world in those days he didn't have a d6 or a d8 he didn't have dynamite he didn't have this he didn't have that right he had a horse and plow he had a very um, minimalistic tools to build a golf course so the way you build a golf course is you fit it into what mother nature's given you right and uh, so I took that philosophy to right from the get-go to all my team members said, the least disturbance approach, guys. When we open this golf course, I want this golf course to look like it's 20 years old. Now, it's not easy to do in some places, Jerry, but that's the philosophy you take into it. And, uh, and I'm proud of it. And the other thing, too, is I've been asked by a lot of developers to build a signature hole. I said, no, I'm not going to build one signature hole. I'm going to build 18 signature holes. Because if you... If you hang your design characteristics and expertise on one hole, uh, it doesn't cut the mustard for me. You've got to be able to, the other 17 holes, you have to sit back like you were just mentioning, remember what hole four was like or remember what hole 11 was like and what did I do on hole 16 or what did I do on my first tee shot? How did I like that? So the art of capturing a player golfer's imagination is doing that, giving them something that actually grabs them for all 18 holes. And the final comment I'll make is, and you mentioned her name is Alice Dye. I remember when I collaborated with Pete on a couple of golf courses very early on in my career, Alice would come up and she'd tap me on the shoulder and she said, Greg, always remember a woman can only hit the ball between 60 and 90 yards through the air. Never forget us. Never <clears throat> design a hole <clears throat> where a woman cannot finish the hole. In other words, no force carries that eliminate you where you have to stop, pick up the ball, go around and drop. That's not fair to anybody who plays the game of golf. I love it. I still don't know how you managed to make all your greens break uphill, though. I swear to God they break uphill. <laughs> They're at the risk course and are they fucking break uphill. <laughs> Uh, Greg, speaking of your golf course uh, design, I'm just curious, what, you know, what's your process like, uh, you know, you, you arrive and you just see this plot of land and, and this beautiful, wherever you go, right? How do you visualize 
what you want to do? How does how what how does your mind work in that process? Well, I proudly can say I've walked every virgin site of every golf course we've ever built, and I continue to walk every virgin site of every golf course um, because a you got to understand where the sun sets in the summer and in the winter, right? Because there's a big difference, right? Uh, then you got to understand where the developer wants his clubhouse. Is he asking us for an opinion on the clubhouse? Where's the infrastructure? How do you get all that in there? The cost of de- de- building a golf course is one thing, but building it around the infrastructure or master plan that can save the, the developer a lot of money to get him a, a better ROI is our responsibility. We've got to give him our thought process. Building roads and sewage and electricity and water main water mains and all that stuff is is critical to the success of a development. Um, I talk to a lot of developers all the time about having massive clubhouses uh, that I think we've turned the corner on that. Back in the 80s and 90s, 100,000 square foot clubhouses. Now we're getting them down into more manageable, maintenance-friendly clubhouses from water uses, electricity, from maintenance and service and all this stuff that you've got to have ongoing costs. And the, one of the final comments I do make to every developer is, um, as we build a golf course, to make them understand, okay, what you spend a day is one thing, but then there's an annual cost to maintain, operate and maintain this golf course. Clubhouse, golf course, forget the real estate and all that, <clears throat> landscaping, everything. And you push that out over 20 years. Now, if, if the annual cost is... $2.5 million a year to maintain that golf course, it's just going to continually go out a percentage every year. So you go out 20 years, that could be $30, $40 million, right, that the developer will eventually have to take out of his pocket or the membership, or you have to charge back to the members a little bit more to offset those costs, right? Mm-hmm. My responsibility, again, is to help the game of global golf. How do you bring those costs down? through innovation like we're doing with, with Live, right? How do we bring down less water usage? You talked, I was, I was the uh, <clears throat> chairman of the um, Environmental Institute for Golf, and you talked to the uh, irrigation people. How do you improve on the irrigation heads? Do we need them so much? Now a technology today with AI, a sprinkler head, let's just say you have 54 sprinkler heads going down each side of the fairway, one side of the fairway might be more moist than the other because of the sun and all this. You don't need to turn on all the sprinklers. Maybe you only have to turn on two or three of those sprinklers. You save water. You save the grass. You save maintenance and fertilizer and all that stuff that adds up over a period of time. That is the responsibility as a golf course designer that you have to hand down that information to a new developer to understand that, okay, over a period of time, this is what the it could cost you, and this is what we can do today to minimize that impact. You, uh, do you have a favorite one? Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, <it> was, Jerry. <laughs> no, I was going to ask his favorite. If you could only play one course the rest of your life, what would it be? The golf course that I've designed? Uh, that was her question. Mine was mine okay. was more general. Yeah. Um, well, I'll, get, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do the general one first. It, it's, it's a push between Royal Melbourne um, and Melbourne, Australia. And St. Andrews, they'd be my top two. Uh, I love St. Andrews. I had the opportunity of playing St. Andrews backwards for a few holes, which was absolutely fascinating um, because it is designed that way. Not not too many people know that or understand that. Um, So I did have that opportunity one time and that the the mastery 
of designing a golf course in one way and yet to play it backwards is just pure genius. And, you know, with St. Andrews, you can challenge yourself as much as you want or you can make it easier as, as you want it to be to make it less strenuous on your golf game. But it, the golf course plays different every time. That's to me, is the art of a great architect, is challenging not just that one shot, but knowing where you got to hit that first shot to make sure your second shot is um, accessible or easier to get to. So when I play Royal Melbourne or I play St. Andrews, um, even Augusta National at times, you want to know where the whole location is first before you hit your first tee shot. Now, the one course that I designed that I would love to play. That's, so that, yeah. It would be Doonbeg in Ireland. It was a classic. We built it by hand. And I did about 22 or 23 visits there because we worked very, very closely with the environmentalist. <clears throat> this was done probably 20-plus years ago, and we worked with a girl called Evelyn. And we had to be very protective of a microscopic snail that lived in the marron grass. And marron grass is like grows to a meter high. Um, and we had to be very protective because it's one of the last big ecosystems for the snail. So I invited Evelyn out to walk the virgin site with me before we even decided on the layout. And she told me where we could go, what we could do, and how we could do it, and really disrupted the layout of the golf course. So by having Evelyn walk every step with me, um, we it showed the collaboration between the golf course designer, the developer, and the environmentalist to get what we all wanted to protect the environment. Um, I was extremely proud of that. Um, I spent 22 or 23 site visits, which is the most I've ever, ever done on a site. But in the end of the day, the first thing we bought was a bush hog. And that bush hog, we started cutting down the marum grass one foot at a time. So the grass, the root system would never get disturbed. Um, you know, that we started cutting down the grass after we determined our center lines where we wanted to go. And by this whole process of <clears throat> cutting down the grass, we never brought in a foreign blade of grass under the side except the greens and teas. Mm. And we used the existing grass by just cutting it down three meters down to root level. You had this ecosystem where all the snails were protected. And um, then we had to obviously identifying some of the incredible green locations and I was very, very proud of that effort. It was a collaboration of proving to the world that golf is not a, an environmental disaster. Uh, golf mm -hmm. and golf course uh, architects can work very, very closely with the environmentalists. And I've used that story a lot, Sue Ann, uh, to let the world know that you, you can work in collaboration. We aren't there to harm the environment. So fascinating, golf course design. I could never, I don't know how you do it, so... <laughs> It really, it's really a, a joy, to be honest with you, um, taking virgin Mother Nature canvas, right? <clears throat> no different than what we've taken with Liv. We identified a virgin space, and how do we maximize it? How do we pull everything out of it? Golf course design is the same thing. You're taking a virgin, virgin piece of land, and how do we maximize that value without, without disrupting the environmental impact? One thing I do do with my guys is when we do walk the environmental site, we do a study on how much exotic material is in there. And you'd be shocked how much exotic vegetation is there. Once you pull that exotic vegetation out, you start seeing what you have there from a natural native environment. Now you can start working with these massive whatever trees they are. Um, now you can identify creek beds that were probably overgrown by 
vines. Now you can identify a boulder over here or something over there. Now you start integrating that into your golf course design, and then poof, out it comes and just looks magnificent. But it's it's so subjective too. I mean, playing golf is golf is taught as a science, but it's performed as an art. I mean, playing golf mm-hmm. is an art form, absolutely no question about it. Um, same, it seems like, would be with golf course design, where there's a lot of science that goes into it that you have articulated um, about be it environmental concerns, be it uh, exotic, uh, discovering what you have to work with. But still, ultimately, it comes down to your eye and your feel and your sense. And uh, and I think that's got to be what, what separates the great designers from the also-rans, much like yeah, players. Look, uh- yeah, absolutely, Jerry. I think the easiest thing in the world to do is to build the hardest golf course in the world. That's that's simple, right? Uh, just you, you make it so difficult nobody can play it. Um, Pete Dye, when I like I mentioned to you, I was doing collaboration with him. Uh, Pete Dye taught me, okay, whatever you see on the surface—beautiful green grass, trees, manicured bunkers, blah blah blah—that's what people see. The art of building an incredible golf course is below that four to six feet below that. How do you get the water off the golf course? How do you get the um, um, the irrigation system through there? How do you get the infrastructure through there, the water, the, the main lines through <clears throat> to get there, to get to the irrigation system? He taught me that. And the art of doing that helps you with what's on the surface. <clears throat> so when when Pete, Pete would take me by the hand and he would say, okay, this is what we're going to do here, here, and here. The interesting thing with Pete was, Pete would hit this low flat hook. That's the only shot he could play in golf, right? So when you look at a lot of golf courses that he designed, it is a, a low flat hook as golf course. So Pete and I had these wonderful arguments, me as the number one player in the world at the time, seeing a different shot that Pete would see. And I'd say, and Pete would say, Greg, let me just tell you one thing. Golfers love to be punished. And I went, <laughs> You know what? That's very true. He followed. He followed up, Jerry, by saying, "If I just put a flag out there in the middle of the fairway and the tee right here in the middle with nothing there but green grass, a flag, and a tee, how bored would you get?" I said, "I'd play it one shot and I want to go. I would never come back again." He said, "There you go. It hasn't challenged you, and it looks boring. So yeah. golfers love to be punished." So he said, "Greg, when I build golf courses, I want people to remember." that little pot bunker at Harbour Town on the left side of 14 or 15, right? I want people to remember that the on the PGA West, <clears throat> that giant bunker we put on the right side of, I think, the 15th or 16th, I want people to be punished. And they'll talk about me and my golf course going on into the future. And they want to go back to try and beat that and, yeah. and, and challenge that shot. So his philosophy was right on point. Uh, Greg, I think earlier you mentioned something about juggling your golf course design and being a CEO, commissioner of Live, and everything else that you have your hands in. Uh, I, I know, remember, I remember we'd spoken Hong Kong at the upfronts, and I think you told me some ridiculous number of hours that you do spend on an airplane. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, how, how do you juggle? How do you juggle home life? You know, how do you juggle? You know, obviously you have a beautiful wife, Kiki. Uh, how do you juggle all that? Spending time with your family, your grandchildren, your own kids, all that stuff. Well, you got to have a great partner to be successful, right? And I do have a great partner. Kiki's done a phenomenal job of watching my back. Um, making sure that the things that I miss don't get 
dropped through the crack and forgotten about. Um, and you can't, you know, you can't do it on your own. There's no question. Uh, you think you can. You think you're bulletproof. You think you can do it all. But it actually, if you think, you, if you want to go down that path, it'll drain you. It'll beat you up pretty significantly because if you try to keep everything within yourself, you'll pay the price within yourself. Um, so I've been blessed. You know, Kiki and I have been married for 13 plus years now. And, uh, you know, we've known each other for a lot longer than that um, through the game of golf and through her stepfather. So, you know, she knows me. She understands me. She sees my DNA. She sees my, my drive every day. And, and she uh, respects the fact that that's who I am. Um, and she was, she'll always be supportive of that. But at the same time, she does a lot of things. If you saw the table I'm sitting at right here and now, <laughs> um, we, you know, we're out here, but we're, we're working together on other things, you know, what we want to do and how we want to plan the future well, in, into our future. Um, so it, it's a great exercise to be able to sit here and just map out life and understand it. My job here for live is something she knows I'm extremely passionate about it. Um, and people don't realize the amount of effort I put into it behind the scenes. You know, we work, I basically work seven days a week. Uh, there's not a day that goes by where even Christmas or New Year that somebody doesn't reach out to you about a business question. Um, and that's important for me to be there for people to do that um, because I've had a company or I have a company that, that was like that anyway. I don't know how you do it. You're in an age in life now at a point in life where most anybody in the world would rest on their laurels and you continue to look forward and not look backward. And uh, thanks for bringing us along for the ride. Well, thanks, Jerry. Appreciate it. Look, we've got an incredible team. Like you guys make up a small part of it, but a very important part of it. I think from our production standpoint, uh, we deliver something that's never been done before. Um, our production team behind the scenes, you guys are the, the leaders of it because they hear your voice, they see your face, you deliver the messaging and uh, you know what is unfolding out there and, and a rapid face, pace with um, a shotgun start. I don't think people understand the magnitude of the effort behind the scenes to put that out there for the eyeballs to see. Um, so, you know, just being part of this team, it's an honor from my perspective to be the leader of it, to be honest with you, because uh, it's, you know, to, to see the, the powerful importance of people and the delivery mechanisms of those individuals, their visions, um, their accountabilities, their responsibilities, but more importantly, the, the commitment and desire that everybody wants to see this succeed. It's just mind-blowing to me. Um, and then when I look at over the last 22 tournaments that we've had, right, our attrition rate within our company, is it there? Yes, it's there. But it is it to the magnitude of other startups? Uh -uh. Nowhere near it. Why? Because of what, we, what I just talked about and the culture of our family, our live family, which is something I'm very, very proud of. I'm very, very proud of our health and wellness for our players and for our overall staff perspective. Um, those are the, some of the few little things that behind the scenes that make me extremely proud of seeing what we are, not what we've delivered, but what we are. Like I said, you and the, and the guys, even Will Steger, who's listening in behind the scenes, monitoring us to his team, everybody. I can go down to each head, head of department. I get into the weeds too much of the business because I'm that type of guy. Um, you know, I sit back and I'm a big listener. I'm an observer. 
Um, and I pick up on a few things that I think are good, um, always good. And then I always pick up on a few things that mm -mm, doesn't sit well here. That's not our culture. Let's correct that. Um, so I make sure that uh, those things that uh, get a little bit out of whack don't become a, a major crack that becomes a, cra a, uh, a chasm that we can't cross. So that, that's what I keep an eye out for. All right, Greg, one final question just to end this podcast and we're going to let you go, I promise. We're going to some new locations this year, right? Mm -hmm. Which location are you the most excited to go to? I think Hong Kong is going to pop. I really do. I think where uh, Royal Hong Kong Golf Club or Hong Kong Golf Club is, I think it's going to pop there because golf in that southeastern corner of China, mainland China, take all the geopolitical stuff out of it. That's not where we are. That's not what we want to do. I think there's going to be a massive opportunity for us in that part of the world. And I think it's going to drop down because people will come from mainland China down to to see what's going to happen in Hong Kong. I'm going to be very interested to see um, what happens in Houston. Uh, Vegas is going to be interesting to see the week of the Super Bowl. Um, you know, so those are those probably the three that um, – jump out of the top for me awesome well we're, we're all very excited to to get 2024 off and started just a few weeks from now greg yes. uh we'll see you in mayacoba mexico thank you so much for your time really appreciate it we took way too much of it um <laughs> so i'm gonna let you go and enjoy uh the rest of your time in napa valley i'm very jealous as i've mentioned okay. multiple times but uh yeah we'll see you in a few weeks well, yeah, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year to all our listeners. And uh, just sit back, enjoy what we've got, and we're just going to get better and better each and every time. And as the clouds cover me over right now, it's time for me to sign off and say goodbye. <laughs> Cheers, Greg. Thanks. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, guys. <laughs> well, that was uh, certainly very interesting that was such a great conversation with greg and and you know so much to take and digest out of everything that he said such a fascinating mind isn't it there is so much going on you know even greg norman didn't have a lot of enemies people who weren't fans of greg norman prior to uh live um and so the 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 push narrative out there that continues to be uh, PGA Tour talking points at every announcement Liv makes. There's also this, this, uh, these, these shallow and hollow words that come out uh, that seem to discredit. Um, even the people who have, have kind of soiled their opinions of Greg Norman based on what other people say um, can't listen to a man give an interview like that and not be impressed with the human being. I, I just don't see how that's possible. I just don't see how it's possible. He's He's, uh, he's an icon in the game. And, uh, and I think it, it, when all is said and done and the epitaph is written, Live Golf will be a, one of the greatest and most celebrated accomplishments of the man's life, as opposed to how it's currently being viewed by some in the, in the, in the current culture. Yeah, 100% agree. All right. Well, that's a wrap for our very first episode of the new year. Thank you so much for joining us. On behalf of everyone on our production th team and uh, Live Golf, Happy New Year. 
uh, and hope 2024 is uh, just an amazing one for everybody listening in. Uh, anyways, do subscribe, leave us a comment or two or five, whatever you wish, and you can uh, find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're keen to watch this on video and and look at Greg's phenomenal Napa Valley <laughs> cabin, uh, you can catch our episode on Live Golf YouTube channel and our Live Golf Plus streaming app. We'll see you very soon, and uh, thanks for joining us. Hey, and enjoy wine country. And you know you're drinking for two because I can't drink right now. So do me proud. Uh, I've eaten for two. I've, you know, was pregnant. So I <laughs> ate for two. I can certainly drink for, for two. two. <laughs> you're my designated drinker for another few weeks. <laughs> I can definitely do that favor for you, Jerry. Enjoy, right, girl. We'll see you, see you next week. <laughs>